Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Todorovic. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Matt Barton. How are you, Matt? What's that? These buttons aren't working. (laughs) (laughs) Is anything coming up? Well, the light came on, but... No sound. No one's home. So... No one heard that. Uh, Matt's trying to It was press. supposed to be a magical sound when you introduced me. Oh, does the applause work? <laughs> well, it's something to do with magic. There's no magic here. <laughs> All right. Um, we're talking about fluid balance today, um, which is a really good topic for students. And, People that and- live in a desert. Sorry? People that live in a desert. Yeah, that's sort of rubbing it in, isn't it? Uh, Fluid balance is important, particularly when you're thinking about the renal system uh, and kidneys, and you need to preface your understanding of that system by understanding fluids in the body. And in actual fact, if you are into health and fitness, you need to understand fluid balance as well. Now, we have done episodes on electrolytes and tonicity uh, and the cell membrane and how things cross and move back and forth. But we're still going to talk briefly about those points so that we've got this whole overarching picture picture so everyone understands what's going on. But basically what we need to talk about today is the water within our body. Uh, How I refer to it as a C, Michael. Uh, Sorry? A C. And what does that C stand for? No, no. Oh, S-E-A. My bad, my bad. Um, So the C, the C that's floating within us. Yeah. Because it's a salty brine, <laughs> is that why? Well, it's not really salty compared the to the ocean. I mean, like, uh, like seawater is like two thousand. Two thousand what? Um, milliosmoles. Is it? Yeah. And our body is what three hundred. Three hundred. Yeah. Okay. So hence why you, hence why you can't drink salt water. Right. Oh, we see seawater. I'll prove you wrong. 
Well, you can, but you're not going to survive for very long doing so. Oh, okay. Well, I won't be able to prove that. Uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> fluids. So first place I think to begin is that considering the fact that we're constantly exchanging fluids into and out of our body and into and out of the cells of our body, overall, we maintain a relatively constant balance of fluid. Yep. This is important. So, for example, around depending on one, whether you're male or female, two, whether you're an infant or older, your body fluid um, percentage percentage is different. Right. So, so this is if you were to look at your whole entire body from a molecular standpoint. Yep. The the molecule of H two O being water, what percentage is that? Well, for men, it's uh, of adult age. Yep. 17 to 40-ish. Not percent, age group you're talking That's about. That's your age group. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, going to so say 17% water, you're in trouble. <laughs> My bad. If you're seven, if you're a male age between 17 and 40, your percentage of water is around about 60%. If right. You're, if you're female of the same age, it's around about 50%. Why is it less? Uh, because on average, um, the body fat composition- Be careful here, Michael. <laughs> the, the body, well, this is, I'm just <laughs> stating the science. I'm just reading out of the textbooks here. This is not an opinion. Um, but the on average, the body fat percentage of women is slightly higher to right. males. And obviously water and fat don't mix. So there's less area or locations for water. So there's no better. water in fat tissue? Uh, not much. Okay. No. So men, 60% water. Women- 50% water. Uh, infants, they have a higher percentage of water and that's predominantly because they've got a lower fat mass. So they can be around about 65% regardless of male, female. Yep. That's if you're an infant. Uh, and as you get older- Do you think we have infant listeners? <laughs> no, but if we did, let us let us know. Shout out, shout out to all our listeners under three. <laughs> uh, and if you're over 60 do we have any over 60 listeners, uh, your body water percentage Drops. is going to be probably below 50%. So um, when when people refer to lean body mass, is yes. that a correct term? Yeah. That, that correlates to more water because yeah. that, that would mean muscle, right? That's muscle right. relative to fat. Yes. And if you've got more muscle, you therefore have more water. Yeah. And so the elderly proportionally will lose muscle mass and – replace it potentially with fat and they have more, less water, should I say. They have less water. Yeah, yeah that's right. Below below 50%. Okay. So from this water. Yes. Where where do we go? How, where, where is it? Where is it? Well, first I think we should talk about how we get this water in and out of the body. So I think that. So where did water come from, Michael? Um, well, water came from the combination of hydrogen and oxygen. Oh, I was going to say, like, it, didn't it come from, like, comets or something? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Well, our, well, that's well a, that's the theory, a theory right? is that the water of our planet was seeded by comets. Okay. Carrying that water, melting and dispersing across the planet. Okay. But at the end of the day, the hydrogen's made – the hydrogen was the very first component of our element, universe. Element. Atom. Um, atom. And – well, it's both – but yeah. in the core That's, of in the core of a star, these hydrogen atoms are merged together to form helium, merged together to form beryllium, merged together to form heavier and heavier atoms or elements. I should say elements on the periodic table yeah. until we get to oxygen. So let's stick with just hydrogen and oxygen. Yeah, then. we should because that's and what we're talking about. So those two 
what kind of relationship do they have? It's beautiful. It's like you and I, <laughs> you know, um, one's positive, the other's negative. Okay. We don't have to um, explain who's who here. <laughs> no, g- generally speaking, when they're bound One's together, heavier, one's lighter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one's got red hair, the other doesn't. Um, when hydrogen and oxygen are bound together, each have a slight charge. So hydrogen has a slight positive charge and water has a slight negative charge. And this is probably the most important property of water biologically. And so it's one of the main reasons why we need water and why we have water inside of our body because this property of having a charge influences the movement and location of various particles that have charges in the body, so electrolytes. Do you know what type of bond allows those two to unite? Uh, Is it ionic bond? Because I think I'm pretty sure... Water to water molecules, hydrogen bonds. Yeah. But it is an ionic bond. I think it's an ionic um, Yeah, it must be. It could be. It must like be. It's, so you've got ionic bonds, the van der Waals forces. It's definitely, it's definitely not that. Nuclear forces. Are they nuclear forces? No. Um, Covalent, which I think is the double bond. That's a strong bond. I think it's more carbon. Yeah. Look. I don't know a, why we went down this hole. I know it's it's – is it, yeah, I think it's a covalent, polar covalent. Yeah, there we go. A polar, polar covalent molecule. Well, there you go. So it's a strong bond then if it's covalent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah wow. There you go. Um, so I should, hopefully I should, never, that. I should never bring up chemistry because it's – No, because we're biologists. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, But that's going to be important for later when we talk about – other molecules that dissolve in water. Correct. So that's why I did it, Michael, but I just did you? didn't do it well. Did? Didn't do it well. No. Keep going, not keep well going. All. all right. I want to talk about, even though I said water's constantly going in and out of the body and in and out of the cells, it's relatively constant. And the reason why is because of the intake versus the output. So for example, let's talk about what how we bring water into the body. Okay. So firstly, we can bring water into the body through food. Okay. And water, just yeah, directly ingested. Or maybe just drinks. Yeah. Um, and around about 2,100 mils of water per day we bring in through this way. So is there a recommended amount? Oh, or, or was water it, ingestion? Or has that kind of been, um, what's the word? Debunked? Yeah. Like, you know, the, you know, 10 years ago or something, yeah. it was like, you must drink this many glasses a day, otherwise no. you'll be a kind of a prune. No, no. I mean, it looks like you're not drinking <laughs> enough water. But no, that's I, not the case. You should listen to your body. Your body is quite look because we need water. So when you say listen that's to right, you, when you say listen to you, when you say listen to the body, how do you mean? As in, uh, put a stethoscope. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like <laughs> slosh, no. slosh it around. No, what I mean is that uh, water is so intrinsically important to our survival, yep. meaning we can't really do without it for right. more than a couple of days, right? Uh, that your body has evolved really important mechanisms uh, with basically loudspeakers that say <laughs> you need to ingest water. And, your, and those loudspeakers are your kidneys? Kidneys, which, your which, hypothalamus. No, but I mean like when you're listening, mm. you're really watching the urine come out and having a look at the colour of it. Is that probably the most accurate way of... Of knowing of your hydration hydro- status? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, that's one way, okay. but another way is simply just l- listen to your thirst reflex. Okay. If you're thirsty, drink water. So if you're thirsty, would that indicate you maybe become becoming a bit dehydrated? You, you, the hypothalamus, which picks up the changes in concentration. Yeah. With, with if things become too concentrated, it's telling you there's not enough water in your body to dilute it. So your hypothalamus picks it up, and okay. it says, "Hey, 
drink. And it does this with very minor changes. Right. So changes that are so minor that they're not physiologically significant mm. um, but could be okay. if left uh, unchecked. So it tells you you need to go drink some water. So they're the the, the mechanisms you should be listening yeah. to and looking at um, to tell you your hydration status. Okay. And be sensible as well. If you're outside in the sun all day, Drink water. Yeah, so there's obviously some variables that play a role here yeah, with not, how much yeah. you would have to drink and that would be, you know, the climate, how much you're moving around. But let's talk about that after we do just a normal input-output and then we can talk about how it's changed. Okay. Um, so normal input for water through food and drink is 2,100 mils per day. But we also make water in our body, which people don't necessarily realise, through a synthesis of water um, when we undergo carbohydrate oxidation. Is it only carbohydrate? I thought also fat. Because um, I remember I did a biochemistry assignment yeah. and essentially what the assignment was, the lecturer gave us an amount of fat that would be burnt and how many water molecules that would be generated by burning that amount of fat. And we had to calculate it from fat. What's the, what's the term? Fatty acid? Oxidation? Yeah, oxidation. Beta oxidation. The whole way through to produce ATP, yeah. how many water molecules would be created? I, I do remember that. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah, so fatty acid oxidation, carbohydrate oxidation. So oxidation is loss of electrons. And right. I do think I do think this is a, a means of water uh, generation for camels. So oh, Do they sort of... No, like with, really emphasise it. Within the hump is actually fat. The lovely camel hump. Yeah, 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 that's right. Wow. So you know how everyone thinks it's just water tanks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're, they're just buckets of water inside they're, they're, of the hump. It's actually fat, which they break down, which they can get their water to dump some degree from. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, keep going. No, so uh, through carbohydrate oxidation, fatty acid oxidation, we make water. Yeah. Um, how much did you say? Uh, it, it's 200 mils per day. About 200 mils per day. So cumul- and they're the two ways we get water into the body. So cumulatively, we input 2,300 mils of water per day. But it would be predominantly through drinks, right? More than food. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so that's, you know, 2.3 litres, right? Yep. Now- this is just on average. So yeah. this, if you're higher or lower, it doesn't necessarily mean anything just to outline. So we're just generalizing at this point. Now output. So how, 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 do you lose, how do you lose it? Yeah. So the first thing to talk about is insensible water loss. So that basically means you can't consciously or precisely regulate this type of water loss. So that's uh-huh. like through breathing. Oh, so do you mean your body can't control this loss? That's right. Okay. There's nothing you can do to really manage this type of loss uh, and it's really hard to quantify as well. So all these are guesses. So through the respiratory tract, you lose around about three to 400 mils of water a day. Yeah, that's So quite, think about that's it. That's a you lot, know, You've it? got oxygen. And, and that would all depend on how quickly you breathe too, right? How quickly you breathe, the ambient yeah. room temperature, how dry the environment is, all of that and changes. And so, some people wouldn't agree with you too much there, but a good way to prove this would be the first one that comes to mind for me. If you ever slept in a tent and- I've never, (laughs) five-star hotels only. And it was a cold evening. All the air that you breathed out during the night condensates at the top of your tent. Or if you sleep in your car, same thing happens. Yeah, or just sometimes if you've got a smaller room, the windows will have condensation in the morning. 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And that is from the, the, the water that you're breathing out. So what I usually do when I'm running out of water camping, I just lick the inside of the tent in the morning. Not something you should admit. <laughs> um, but you know what? Not surprising. <laughs> Even though, and you know, Matt's wife's going, We've, I've got like liters of water here, Matt. And you're like, no, 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 need to, need to conserve this water. Lick, lick as he licks the side of the tent. Um, all right. So breathing out, we breathe out some water, three to 400 mils a day. Uh, we also lose some through our skin. And this is not sweating. Oh, this okay. is simply just water loss through our skin, um, which just happens. Well, it just need your, your top of your, your epidermis does need to be hydrated to some degree. Otherwise you'll end up like a reptile. Yes. Um, so it needs to be hydrated and as a result of doing that, um, you know, to have supple skin like me, yeah, well, that's one <laughs> it needs to have water come to the top, which means it will evaporate out. Yes. Which uh, it, like you said, it was separate to sweating. But we, we have evolved a mechanism where we've got these keratinized waterproof cells of our skin, you know, the, the upper layer, the top layer, uh, which stops us from losing too much water. Yeah. Um, and this is severely impacted when people have burns. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? So w- when you get a bad burn, you lose that ability and just leak water. It's uh, yeah. litres and litres yeah. per day. Yeah. So one of the biggest issues uh, in the early stages of a burn is dehydration. Yeah, that's a good point. So, that, you know, so firstly, we r- release it through our skin around about three to 400 mils a day. And again, that is not sweating. We'll talk about that in yeah. a sec. So- this insensible water loss that we can't really control or quantify too well is around about 700 mils a day. Now, the other ways that we lose water, sweat. So if you're just doing what Matt and I do on a regular basis, which is not sauna. much. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> we, uh, we, we, we do our podcast in a sauna. Yeah, I know. That's it, it, probably not good for the equipment. <laughs> but, uh, you know, great for us. So, and- <laughs> You know, any excuse for Matt to, to throw some water on some hot rocks and, <laughs> and shreds. So sweat. Uh, if you're doing what we do most of the time, which is not much, it's about 100 mils a day, not a huge amount. But if you exercise, man, that can go litres. A, a litre an hour. One litre an hour, up to. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So, you know, tennis players, for instance. Mm, like myself. Like have you ever seen um, Nadal? Like he dr- drips yeah. onto the court. Like, yeah. You know, those, those um, people with towels at the tennis court have oh, a yeah. big job ahead. Yeah, they should have like <laughs> giant car sponges. <laughs> they should just so, and, mop them up. And then you see that like they just like at the end of almost every um, game, they just go and scull a whole lot of water, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're right, especially Nadal. He's a sweater. That's and do sure. you like, do you, you know when you watch tennis, it just, it just seems more obvious with tennis, I don't know why, but they have – it seems like they've got a water bottle and then something else, which I guess has got the electrolytes in it, yeah. right? And they just drink from one and then drink another and then yeah. move on. Yeah, yeah. Well, think about – so this is an important point is that a lot of people think that when they sweat, they're losing all these electrolytes. And you do. Like you can taste sweat and you can taste the salt in it. But it's so variable depending how much salt or electrolytes you lose. Um, you know, and you can tell like when you sweat, if you were to do a workout and you had a cap on and you take it off, do you have that white salty rim? See, I don't ever. So I don't lose much salt in my sweat, but you might lose more salt. I don't sweat a great deal to be honest. I'm not a sweater either. Um, but but that's the other thing is that some people sweat more so than others. So there's heaps of factors uh, altering this. I think also, and I could be 
could be wrong here, but I, I think also a big part of why those athletes that are losing so much water, why they drink electrolytes, and this is a separate topic, but I'll just bring it up, is it becomes more efficient on the water intake to have solutes with it mm-hmm. because particularly glucose. Yeah, to, sugar. It drives the channels to pull water back into your yeah, from through the gut. your gut into your blood. Into so, blood. I mean, that, that's where the Gatorade production came from, from the football. Yes. Yeah, putting salt and glucose yeah. into it just drives the absorption it, of it water. It drives the, not the pump, but the the channel that mm. pulls water across the gut wall more efficiently so you can absorb quicker. Perfect. Um, so that's sweating, uh, about a hundred mils a day. If you're not exercising or in hot conditions, uh, you actually lose around about a hundred mils a day as well in your poop. So your poo, if you were to, if you were <laughs> it to would go, depend, it would depend on the, the bristolness of your poo. The bristolness. Well, okay. If you were to go take a large dump right now and you were to, you were to catch it in your hand and then ring it, <laughs> ring it out, right? Squeeze it. Water would come out. Around about 100 mils. Yep. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. I've done the experiment. And then kidneys, around about 1.4. Yeah, this would be the most, right? Litres or 1,400 mils per day. But that can change. That can be half a so litre a day. is this basically kidney sweating? You could call it kidney sweating uh, if you're an idiot. <laughs> but more accurately, Old kidney it's called sweat. urination. Yeah, okay. uh, and we, or or micturating. Or micturating. Very true. Because of my name. Is that why mic? Processing, or well, the, the the process of urinating is um, micturating, but the process of forming urine is a bit different. Cool. Uh, so, how much did you say? So, fourteen hundred mils per day. Quite a lot, it, but right? it can be five hundred mils to twenty thousand mils. Depends on intake and your kidney function, probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly that, and other conditions like yeah. ADH release, aldosterone. Which release. we're actually going to get to that. We will with some case studies at the end. So with the insensible water loss, which totaled 700 mils a day, and the sweating feces and kidneys, which is about 1,600 mils a day, our total output is 2,300 mils a day. And our total input was also 2,300 mils a day. Perfect. So that's showing us that generally speaking, it's balanced. Now, you asked the question earlier, of all this water that we're taking in and storing, where does it go? You know, do we fill ourselves up from the legs up like we would a bucket from the bottom up or does it actually distribute into various compartments? And I think the answer to this is pretty straightforward. Uh, we're a bucket. No, <laughs> it, it, go, it goes into various compartments. Well, it sounds like it sometimes, you know, when you drink a lot of water and then you move around the house and you can hear it sloshing. That's true. Yeah. My, that's my daughter sculled some water the other day and jumped up and down and for the very first time heard water in her, in her tummy and thought it was amazing and just wouldn't stop jumping around. And I was just going, Dad, listen, Dad, listen. As this water sloshing around, I said, stop it, it's disgusting. <laughs> um, so the fluid is, sits within body fluid compartments. And generally speaking, there's what we call the extracellular fluid compartment and the intracellular fluid compartment. So water that sits out of the cells and water that sits in the cells, super easy. Now of the, let's just say you and I, I'm 70 kilograms, 60% of me is water. That's 42 litres of water. Of this 42 okay. litres, two thirds of it is in the cells. Right. So it's 28 litres. From your 30 trillion cells in your body, if you were to pull the water out of every single one of those, yep. that would be how much water? 
28 litres. 28 litres. Of the total 42 litres of my whole yeah, body. Yeah, so that's two-thirds of your body water. Yeah. And then the other third sits outside the cells, which is about 14 litres for me specifically. Uh, and that's distributed, again, outside the cells, but we know that outside the cells means a lot of things. So, for example, outside the cells can be in the area between the cells, right? That's called the interstitial area. That's very important. Or it can be in our blood. That's also outside the cells. Even though our bloodstream has red blood cells, outside of those red blood cells and through our vessels, we have our blood plasma. Yeah. That's also extracellular fluid. <clears throat> so, so, but with that, the, the red cells and white cells, I guess platelets to a degree, the fluid in them is intracellular. That's right. But the fluid in your blood, which what, in your case, five litres of blood? blood plasma specifically. Five litres, let's just say yours is five litres of blood, 3.5 litres of that is in the plasma. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So broadly speaking. And that's the 60-40-20 the rule. What do you mean? 60% of you yep. is water. Mm-hmm. Of that, 40% is intracellular. 40% of that 60. Yeah. Yep. And then 20%. Nice. That's good. So, yeah, most of the water, interestingly, is in our cells. I always find that an interesting fact. Mm. All right. Excuse me. So this fluid, if you think about it, so I spoke about intake and output, right? Intake happens predominantly through ingestion through our oral cavity. So let's just say drinking water. So we bring it in, goes through our digestive tract, gets absorbed into our bloodstream, so that means the fluid of our body first enters our plasma, which is extracellular fluid. And then if it wants to ultimately get to the cells, has to move through our blood membrane, which, membrane, which is the capillary membrane. Right. right? Yep. So it goes from our plasma through the capillary membrane into the interstitial area. And then from the interstitial area, if it wants to get into the cells, has to move through a cell membrane to then get intracellularly. Okay. That's how it all works. Yeah. And if that fluid from inside the cell wants to get out of the body, it goes backwards in the cell, through the cell membrane to the interstitial, through the interstitial, through the capillary membrane, into the blood, from the blood it gets filtered through our urine. And that's the predominant way we output that fluid. So the point I'm trying to get across here is that from whatever you ingest, whether it's water or whether it's Food. Various components in water like electrolytes and ions, they still need to move through these membranes. And some of these membranes let these things through, some of these membranes don't. First of all, both these membranes let water freely move through. Okay. The way you can think about it is that the water of our body has a free pass to get anywhere it wants, right? Free pass. But it's pretty lazy. So someone needs to drive it there. And that driver is going to be electrolytes sodium, chloride, potassium. So wherever they go, the water's just going to follow. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. So then this sort of brings us to the fact that we spoke about the composition of water inside and outside of our cells, but because water is influenced by electrolytes, like sodium, potassium, magnesium, and so forth, because of their charge, remember water has a charge, electrolytes have a charge, They wherever one goes, the other follows. Mm-hmm. We now need to talk about where these electrolytes sit inside and outside of the cell because that then influences where the water goes. Right, right. So uh, do you want to start outside the cell or inside the cell? Um, let's go in. Inside the cell? Yeah. Okay. So inside the cell you're going to have positive and negative things, right? Okay. The positive 
ions. So these are all ions now or not yeah. no, Not all? Well, not all, but okay. the way you should think about it is that most of the things that influence the movement of water we call solutes because they're dissolved in water. Okay. Uh, these solutes often have a charge. So you can have solutes that don't have a charge and they don't really influence water very much, but you can have things that do have a charge and they significantly influence water. Now, is there a term that we now use for when there's ions in solution? Well, if they influence the movement of water, you can call them osmolites. Okay. Uh, and that means they influence the shift of where water goes. And that is that term then osmosis? Osmosis, yes, is the movement of water through a semi-permeable okay. membrane from an area of high water concentration to an area of low water concentration. Uh, and there, that then allows for us to have the definition of osmolality or osmolarity, which is simply so a concentration. One's a fluid, one's a mass? Yes. Yeah. yeah, so osmolality I can is, never remember these two. Is is about uh, uh, the volume of uh, the concentration of solutes per kilogram of fluid yeah. in the body, and osmolarity is the concentration of solutes per liter oh, within okay. our body. Okay. All right. So generally speaking, they're interchangeable because one liter of water is one liter is one kilogram of water. So we in Australia generally refer to osmolarity, and so from now on, we'll just talk about. Osmolarity. Okay, so to to summarize that point, when we look at the two compartments, intracellular fluid, extracellular fluid, they're separated by a cell membrane. Yep. Now, the concentration of ions on each side, so the the ions within that fluid is known as osmolarity. Is that the right? Concentration is yeah, yeah. The concentration. Now, what you're about to start with was talking about well, what are the particular ions in the intracellular fluid and then how is this different to the extracellular fluid? Yep. But by and large, even though there's a different concentration of different ions, the actual osmolarity between the both sides is pretty much the same. Therefore, mm-hmm. water's not really moving between those two compartments. That's right. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So if you look inside the cell, the main ions or solutes or osmolites or electrolytes or whatever you want to call them, um, things with a charge, you could say, uh, that are inside the cell uh, include potassium. So so basically cells are just bags of potassium. Mostly, yeah. So inside the cell, you've got 150 millimole per litre of potassium. So 75% at least of the positively charged ions are potassium in the cell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you've also got a little bit of sodium, about 10 millimole per litre, um, and you've got 120 millimole per litre of phosphate. So that's negatively charged. Um, and you've got, you know, magnesium as well. So magnesium is a positively charged ion. It's about 40 millimoles per litre. And proteins if you want to use other charged things. Yeah. So proteins, huge amounts in cells, right? And proteins have a negative charge. Right. So all these things exert a pulling force on water. That's why we're bringing them up. So mostly inside the cell, just think sodium, think phosphate, think proteins. Outside the cell, it's so this mostly- is extra, extracellular now? Yeah, extracellular. It's not potassium, it's sodium. And 144 millimole per litre or 144 millimoles is sodium outside the cell. The next is chloride, 114 millimoles per litre. And then you've got trace quantities of potassium, calcium, magnesium, and phosphate. So outside the cell, salt, sodium chloride. Yeah. Inside the cell, potassium, phosphate, and proteins. Yeah. All exerting force. So you said we're bags of potassium. We're well, actually the, the cells are. The cells are. Yeah, so we're bags of potassium floating in seas of salt. Yeah. All right? So you can think of the cells as an island- uh, and the fluid surrounding it, the interstitial fluid, the ocean, as sodium just salt chloride. water, yeah. sodium and chloride. Now, you made the really important point. We just said we've got different concentrations of ions inside and outside the cell, mostly sodium and chloride outside, mostly potassium, phosphate and proteins inside. But you said the concentration, if you were to add up all of the positive and negative stuff inside the cell and add up all the positive and negative stuff outside the cell, that their pulling force on water is equivalent. Yeah. And yeah. we call this- this And, that, is and that's in, important, right? Very important. Yeah. It's measured in milliosmoles and it's around about 298 milliosmoles or you could round oh, up yes. to 300 yep. milliosmoles. Now, an important side point is that we're just talking inside and out of a cell right now. We're not breaking up the extracellular fluid as plasma and interstitial fluid. But if we were, the plasma, remember the capillary membranes of our blood vessels don't let proteins out. So you've got a higher concentration of proteins in our blood vessels than yeah. we do, do the, in the interstitium. Yeah, that's a good point. And that exerts a stronger pulling force inside. So the osmolarity in our blood vessels is just slightly higher than it is in the interstitium, even though they're both extracellular fluid. But for all in for all intents and purposes, they're the same. Okay. And we can just say what the concentration osmolarity-wise outside the cell compared to inside is the same. So basically what you put into your body, um, even if you were to put it into your blood, yep. would diffuse pretty easily, unless it's a big thing like proteins, would diffuse pretty easily across the capillary membrane into the interstitial space and kind of equalise between those two spaces. Yep. But but then what dictates to go into the cell is a different story. Yeah, that's a good point. So the way you should think about it is whatever you ingest – that will be bathing your cells. You ingest a lot of salt, a lot of salt's going to bathe your cells. And that means the concentration outside your cell is going to be different to inside your cell. If you drink huge amounts of water without the appropriate amount of electrolytes or salts, you're going to have a lower concentration of stuff outside your cell because that high water will dilute the concentration. Yeah. Um, so, yes, the f- exchange of stuff from inside a blood vessel to outside a blood vessel, so from the from the intravascular to the interstitium, which are both extracellular, that's freely interchangeable. 
but it's not from outside the cell to inside the cell. So not from the interstitium to inside the cell. And this is where a lot of the hydration differences and fluid shifts can occur. Because remember, two thirds of our fluid volume is in our cells. And if we do something to pull that water out, we can shift a huge volume of fluid from inside our cells to outside of our cells and vice and versa, vice versa yeah. right? And so when we use the term dehydration, we should be specific. We should be referring to extracellular dehydration. So are we losing fluid out from outside the cell relative to inside or intracellular dehydration? Are we losing fluid from inside the cell compared to outside? So that's one and, point. And basically dehydration is just water loss relative to intake. Yes, that's right. Yeah. The other thing you should realize, so that's dehydration, is tonicity. So the concentration of our fluids. So if the fluids are hypertonic, the concentration outside the cell compared to inside the cell is higher of these osmolites, the things that can So when, you, when we use the term tonicity, like an isotonic, hypertonic, hypotonic, what is that relative to when you have those terms? Generally, it's relative to the cell. Okay. So because at rest or steady state, the concentration outside the cell and inside the cell is the same, it's isotonic. So therefore, when you ingest or intake something that's higher than the concentration of the cell, it's hyper, meaning above, tonic, hypertonic. Or if it's less concentrated than that of the cell, it's hypo or below tonic. So therefore, that inf- so the tonicity of a solution will influence the movement of water. That's the whole purpose of understanding tonicity is that a hypertonic solution will bathe the cell in more solutes than is in the cell and therefore is going to pull water out of the cell. Dehydrating the cell. So that's intracellular dehydration. Right. Or if you bathe the cell in a hypotonic solution, the concentration of the solutes outside the cell compared to inside is lower. But that means water is going to be dragged into the cell. Yep. Right? And yep. th- then you get extracellular dehydration. Right. Right. But dehydration can occur a number of different ways through sweating, through diarrhea, through vomiting, through many things. So what Matt and I thought would be best is to give you some scenarios, some case studies and talk about how does this alter or affect the body? What do you reckon, Matt? Do you reckon that's the way to go? We can do that. Yeah. So before we start, because I think what I'll do is I'll throw you these scenarios. Sure. And then you can talk through what might happen. But before we do that, I'll just point out a couple of things um, that will set up these scenarios more easily, I think. So from a physiological standpoint, the things that you just mentioned like exercising, not drinking, vomiting, diarrhea, sweat loss, even say use of a diuretic. Yeah. um, And even arguably the use of an IV solution physiologically the first compartment that's going to be influenced is the extracellular compartment. Yeah. And so all these changes within the scenario that we're going to talk about is going to do two things to the extracellular fluid. Okay. These two things are either you add or remove solutes from the extracellular fluid or you gain or lose water molecules from Mm. that fluid. Now, based on those two things – will then just determine where the water might might shift from the other compartment, which is the intracellular compartment. Yeah. So like you said, if you were to have a hypertonic change in the extracellular fluid, water would come out of the cell 
so shift into the extracellular. If you were to have a hypotonic change within the extracellular fluid, fluid would actually go into the cell. And if you had an isotonic change, so it's going to be no change in osmolarity, but it could be a volume change, there will be no shifting of water between those two compartments. Okay? So before we before I give you the specific ones, do you want to talk about in these scenarios, we're going to get either a volume change with maybe no osmo, well, a change in osmolarity or a volume, when I say volume change, a volume expansion, so more volume in the extracellular fluid or a volume decrease? Dealer's choice. Okay. Which one do you want to start with? I'll go with volume loss first. Okay. So something's so you're going to give me case studies where the scenario is somebody's losing fluid. Yep. Okay. Okay. And and then I'm going to explain what may happen from my understanding of anatomy and physiology. Yep. Yep. All right, let's do it. So let's say we'll start with sweating. Okay. So let's say an individual um just is you, you sweat for many reasons. Like it could just come Tell from, me about it. It could come from stress, I'm right? Sweating right now. <laughs> But let's just say it's coming from exercise. So let's say you go out, do a whole lot of um, running in a fairly hot condition and you're just sweating a ton of water. Oh. Not a ton because you actually would die with that amount of – let's say a, 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 a litre or two. All right. So what's happening, Michael? All right. So if you think about it, sweating is going to be the loss of both fluids and electrolytes from your blood vessels through your skin right? Ultimately. Now, uh, now it's happening through sweat glands, but at the end of the day, a lot of people think that when we sweat, we lose, you know, an equivalent amount of salts as we do uh, water, but that's not actually the case. So when we sweat, particularly profusely, we tend to lose far more water than we do electrolytes. So what that tells me is that in the extracellular fluid, we are losing more water then we are losing electrolytes. Yep. So what that would do to the con- – even though the volume in the extracellular fluid is going down yep. from the water loss, the concentration of that fluid or the concentration of the solutes in that fluid goes up. Brilliant. Now that means the fluid that's bathing the cells is hypotonic. Relative to the cells, yeah. Exactly. Yep. So what happens is water gets dragged towards that – higher osmolarity, the higher concentration. Through osmosis. Yep. So the water gets pulled out of the cells. That means the cell becomes dehydrated, Mm -hmm. meaning its osmolarity goes up. Yep. And the end result here is, one, you've got a total fluid loss from the extracellular fluid and the intracellular fluid. Two, the concentration of both the extracellular fluid and intracellular fluid goes up. Perfect. Cool. And the and the. The term that you could use for this loss would be a hyperosmotic volume loss. Hyperosmotic volume loss. Makes sense. Because you're losing volume, but your fluid is becoming hyperosmotic. Now, the thing is that when this happens, because I think we've all exercised, or at least one of us at the table has, our body gets stimulated, like we alluded to earlier, the hypothalamus picks up concentration changes. So when the concentration goes up, like it has in this scenario, the cells of the hypothalamus, which are bathed in the same interstitial fluid as any other cells of the body, goes, oh, it's too concentrated. You've lost fluid. Let's stimulate a thirst reflex. And we get thirsty and hopefully we replenish those fluids. We rectify it. And hopefully that's how we rectify the situation. Sometimes you may need to rectify the situation by adding electrolytes as well. Well, 
just a point to add to there, infants haven't learnt the thirst reflex very well, so they have a higher risk of dehydration states because they haven't learnt their thirst reflex yet. Their thirst reflex. Yep. Well, they they haven't made sense of it or it's not, it's immature. So if you have an infant that is sweating from a hot day, they're losing more, but they're not being instructed by their physiology to go and drink more. Right. So they're at a higher risk of dehydration. Yeah. And same with the elderly, they've, they've kind of decreased in their thirst, um, physiology Mm, that's mm. depleted, not depleted, but it's just the efficiency of that thirst reflex in the elderly is diminishing. Yeah. yeah. And an additional thing with infants is they have a greater surface area to volume ratio. So when we talk about sweating, they're actually losing more fluid proportionally than an adult would because they got more outer surface to their volume of inner. Does that make sense? Yep. So infants are at a great risk, particularly with, Say sweating, yeah, and yeah. heat loss. All right, so that's the first example of what happens when somebody l- loses fluid due to sweating. Okay, okay. So the next scenario is Michael visits um, Bali and develops some or ingests some kind of microorganism mm-hmm. that causes inflammation in his gastrointestinal tract, mm-hmm. which results in profuse diarrhea. Perfuse diarrhea. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're, you know, spending a lot of time on the toilet here, losing a lot of um, fluid. Okay. So through diarrhea, we are losing fluid. Uh, so fluid loss. Uh, it is extracellular fluid, right? Yes, definitely. Um, but because it's basically just pulling all whatever the extracellular fluid and its components is, we're losing an equivalent amount of electrolytes and water. So unlike the sweating scenario where it was mainly water, we are losing just basically fluid vol- isotonic fluid volume. So that means the extracellular fluid volume goes down, but there's not a significant concentration change, which would indicate to me that if the, su- if the fluid bathing the cells now is not hypotonic, which it was in the last scenario, it's isotonic, there's no, even though the fluid's gone down, there's no indication to the cell that any fluid should be pulled out, Yeah. right? Yep. So all you end up getting in this case is extracellular dehydration, yep. fluid loss, and intracellular, the cell remains relatively yeah. normal. Great. So that's right. The intracellular fluid compartment stays the same size volume. The extracellular fluid volume decreases. So what would you call this as a title? Uh, a horrible event. <laughs> Especially for the the toilet cleaner. Um, (laughs) It's an isoosmotic volume depletion or contraction. Okay. 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 And this, because this is purely extracellular, you're going to have quite a serious or potentially quite a serious blood pressure issue. Oh, yeah, good point. Because you're losing a lot of extracellular fluid, fluid, which means you're losing intravascular fluid as well. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. In this case, um, let's say you had – um, I'm just going to make this scenario up and oh, it's and it's not at all, I don't think even possible, but I'm going to put it in there. Oh, that's what people want um, to hear. Let's say you were boxing. And that's you, possible. And someone did a really hard kidney jab. Oh, so somebody hit me. Yeah. Not possible. <laughs> in the kidneys um, bilaterally. <laughs> so, so double fist to the kidneys. All right. Um, but it – was a very specific punch and it took out your adrenal glands 
<laughs> okay. And as a result, you <laughs> lost the ability to secrete aldosterone. Okay. So, so this part's fine, but I think the lead up is not clinically possible. But no. I could be wrong. If this has happened to you out there, write in. So to, you, could, you could have simply to said bilateral hy- kidney punch. <laughs> <laughs> you could have simply said hypoaldosterone. No, no, I, I wanted to bring something like a, an emotional hurt. hook into it. Or literally. literally. <laughs> Double hook. Um, all right. So we, we aren't releasing aldosterone. I know that aldosterone, when it's released, plays an important role at the kidneys to reabsorb sodium back into the body. And as we know, wherever sodium goes, water follows. So aldosterone gets released, sodium gets reabsorbed back in the body, fluid gets reabsorbed back in the body. But you're saying we can't do this. So that means we'll have an excessive loss of sodium as we can't reabsorb it. And with that sodium, water will follow. So my assumption in this case would be that we are losing now, you might have to correct me here. I don't know whether we're going to be losing an equivalent amount of solute per volume or we will we lose more solute? More, more solute. Okay. So we're losing more sodium than water, yep. even though water is being lost. So what we get is an, a loss of extracellular volume but we also get a more significant loss of solute in the extracellular fluid. So we have now a hypotonic solution bathing our cells, which means the cells are more concentrated than the solution around it. And that means water will get dragged into the cell and the cells swell up. So we get a further loss of extracellular fluid. So we have extracellular dehydration in addition to extracellular hypoosmotic scenario, but because the water's been dragged into the cell, the cell's going to become overhydrated, but also hypoosmotic as well. Yeah. Well done. Oh, look at that. So basically, if you look at the volume of the two compartments, intracellular volume will go up. Yep. Extracellular volume will drop. Yep. And the osmolarity in both will drop. Beautiful. And so therefore- well, Not beautiful, horrible, but I got it right. <laughs> therefore so we term this hypoosmotic volume depletion or contraction. Beautiful. Well done. So that's the fluid loss scenarios. Now we go into the fluid gains. Okay. So, so case studies where we get too much fluid. Yeah. All right, let's do it. The first one, um, let's just say Michael just wanted to see what happened when he has- a couple of bags, two two bags of normal saline. You so these are the you most giving me this saline, or am I doing it myself? I'll put the um, cannula in. Okay. So this will go into your intravascular space. Mm-hmm. Let's just say in your vein in the inside of your elbow. Okay. Um, and we'll put push through two liters of normal saline. All right. And this is the most common. Uh, IV solution that you'll probably see in the hospital. Yep. Um, you know, there's bags, it's clear bags that you see ha- hanging up in next to people's beds. Yep. These are the most, com- this is the most common IV solution. So okay. two litres, go for it. All right. So firstly, do you want to define what an isotonic sodium solution is? What you can do that. That's part of your answer. Okay. So we have 140 to 144 millimoles per litre of sodium in our body, which ends up being 0.9% sodium. Chlor- sodium. So our body is 
particularly our extracellular fluid, is 0.9% sodium, which means what? That's nine grams of sodium per liter, yeah. right? All right, so that's- A few tablespoons, uh, teaspoons. Okay, so that's giving you just an understanding of if I were to take a liter of my blood, there's going to be nine grams of sodium in it. All right, that's neither here nor there. You're telling me that I threw IV intravenous straight into my blood- Just so it's quick, that's all. Okay, oh, that's a hint. You want me to do it faster? All right. <laughs> we're introducing- Heaps of fluid into my body, but it's the same concentration as my blood and extracellular fluid anyway. So I get an expansion of extracellular fluid with no changes in tonicity or osmolarity, which means there's no net movement of water into or out of the cell. I simply just get an extracellular fluid increase and have overhydration. So my blood pressure, I assume, would go way through the roof and my kidneys would be stimulated to pee a lot. Yeah. Or I guess it depends on how well you can clear it from your kidneys on how quick on your blood, blood pressure will yeah, go up. True. But again, using the, th- the third rule or the, th- the rule of thirds, mm-hmm. bec- let's say you put a litre, let's, let's say one litre, one litre of the solution into your blood, Yep. two thirds of it, so that's what 600 odd mil yep. will go interstitial and 300 mils will stay in your blood. Yeah. Okay. So your blood pressure would go up, maybe not as much as other IV solutions that would cause water to hold into your intravascular space. And there's some IV solutions that will do that. But this one, two-thirds will go out into interstitial, so you might also develop types of edema as well. Oh, true. So, you know, peripheral or even uh, pulmonary if listen, you were listen to subject the next to episode, that. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Good. Right, so, so, th- right. so this would be an isoosmotic volume Expansion. Very good. I'm killing it, Matt. Yeah, you are doing very well. All right. All right, next one. Let's do it. <laughs> next one. Well, here we go. Um, this is case scenario now. You, um, what's been your favourite movie uh, this year? This year? Released this year. Oh, um, I haven't watched too many movies. I don't, oh, you can't put me on the spot like that. A lot of TV shows. I like all the Marvel TV shows. When was it? What's the last movie you went to? Last movie. Let's just go Maverick. Did you go watch that? Maverick with- Top Gun. Oh, okay, Top Gun. So I thought you meant the movie Maverick with um, Mel Gibson. No, Top Gun. Have you seen that movie? That's actually a great movie. What's it about? uh, Mel Gibson and James Garner, uh, where they're both uh, poker players back in the 1800s in the US and they cheat in poker competitions and then- you know, they have fun times. They have bad times. They have. You know, I possibly that, have. Anyway, let's go. Let's go to your. Let's go to your Top Gun movie. All right. And no, you were you were really excited to watch this movie. Yeah. Look, and I haven't po- actually watched the new Top Gun movie. Did you see? Um, but I do. Neil Grass Tyson's post on, on oh, that. What did he do? Did he try and tear it apart? He, he, he tore it apart from a physics standpoint. He said. I haven't seen the movie, so I'm just going off the statement that he put in, yeah. in it. He said, um, ejecting from Mach 10 um, with the force that is placed on you from the ejection seat. Yeah. You know, I think he spoke about how much TNT that would be equivalent to to shoot you out of the airplane yeah. whilst going at the 10 Mach. Yeah. Um, physiologically wouldn't be possible and you'd be dead. Right. Yeah. So the thing with that is um, – it's a movie. Yeah. Anyway. And I think that's why Neil deGrasse Tyson gets smashed on Twitter is because everyone's just like, yeah, thanks, Neil. We do like the physics and stuff, but 
we went prefer to the watch. movie. Prefer the movie. So let's say Michael was really excited to watch this movie. He'd yep. planned for months. Yep. So he got to the movies early. He got the biggest bucket there is of popcorn. Yeah, I usually do. Yes. And yes, it's yes. the salted one. Ooh. Okay. I even brought my own salt, let's just say. <laughs> yeah. So he um, was so into it, the movie, not well, I guess the popcorn as well, yeah. um, that he finished it before the um, premieres. What's, what's the what's the trailer or the trailers? So he'd finished all his popcorns before the movie even started. Um, so the, the take-home point here is he he ingested a lot of sodium chloride. Yeah. Okay. Go. What what's going to happen? Okay. I ingest a lot of salt. Uh, ingesting all that salt is basically going to increase the osmolarity of my extracellular fluid. Uh, that then makes it hypertonic compared to the cell. The water will be pulled out of the cell into the extracellular fluid. So my cell becomes hypertonic as well. So now I have two hyperosmotic, I should say, two hyperosmotic solutions, both the extracellular and intracellular, and fluid has moved out of the cell into the extracellular fluid, increasing the extracellular fluid volume. Okay, so decreasing. T- so you get intracellular dehydration and extracellular fluid expansion. Yeah. Both scenarios are both hyperosmotic. Fluids. Yeah, that's right. So the, the extracellular volume will go up, the extracellular fluid volume will go down, but the, the osmolarity in both will increase. Therefore, we have a hyperosmotic volume expansion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Brilliant. Now we're left with the last one. So for whatever reason, Michael didn't learn his lesson the first time around boxing. And so he went back into the ring. Yep. And this time he got a really good um, jab. No. Hook. Hook. Yeah. That came in from, I don't Mike know. Mike Tyson. <laughs> and again. really caused some trauma to his um, pituitary gland. Wow. That must have been a hell of a hit. <laughs> and as a result, his posterior pituitary gland mm-hmm. um, become hyperactive. Oh, heaps of oxytocin. Yeah. <laughs> so he fell in love with Mike Tyson. That's right. The end. And I, and I can't stop lactating. <laughs> um, no, ADH. Oh, okay. Antidiuretic so, hormone. So that's right. Posterior, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so he's just pumping out his ADH. Right. Yeah. Okay. Just going nuts. Going nuts. So, anti- so I'm just going to call this a syndrome of inappropriate ADH. That's interesting because that's what it's called. Um, right. Mechanism may not be so accurate. No, I don't know if Mike Tyson can cause it through a punch, but I've seen how hard he hit, so maybe. Uh, okay, antidiuretic hormone does what it says it does. It's antidiuresis, so stops you from peeing if uh, so you can hold on because it puts little holes in your nephron and allows you to reabsorb I don't, I, water. Not literally, but yeah, it just puts water channels in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you reabsorb water, so that's its job. If I release too much... I'm reabsorbing more and more and more water into the body, not peeing it out. So my urine output would go down, but my extracellular fluid volume would go up and it would be isotonic, right? Because it's the same concentration as my blood. So I, I get an extracellular fluid expansion uh, with no – oh, no, okay. Because I'm re- – okay, no, no, no. All right. I'm reabsorbing just water. So that means I'm diluting out my extracellular fluid with just that water. So I get an extracellular fluid expansion from the 
water reabsorption, but I'm diluting out the solutes in the extracellular fluid. So now it becomes hypoosmotic. And that means that extra fluid I've just reabsorbed will get pulled into the cells as well. And then that becomes hypoosmotic, but also swells. So you overhydrate both your extracellular fluid and your intracellular fluid spaces, and both of them become hypoosmotic. Perfect. And, it, Killed and, it. and as you said, it's it's a hyperosmotic volume expansion. There yep. you go. Is that Brilliant. it? Is that That's all it. of them? Yeah, yeah. Look I, at that. It was hard to come up with those scenarios. Yeah. Um, you did but a, I got look, there. Apart got from there. the fact that they were all about me getting injured in some way, um, it's payback, I suppose. But uh, look, I think that was good. And I think that covers most of the info we need to know when it comes to- How would to- you know, just really quickly, okay. how would you know- that you may be becoming dehydrated, just some clinical manifestations. Um, you spoke about thirst. You would also probably – give me a couple of things that you – maybe indicators that you thirst – your dehydration is um, – Mouth feel, so dry mouth. Okay. Honestly. Glad you explained on that. Yeah. Uh, thirst. Um, We've dark, said thirst. Dark urine. Yeah, that's a good one. Colour. Um, turgidity of your skin, right? So if you pinch it, does it snap back or does it sort of stay – Pinched, yep. right? That tells you about the, uh, the hydration status or can indicate. Um, uh, what else is there? What else is there? Well, you're probably going to lose volume, extracellular volume. So your particularly your, the, the pressure, blood pressure might be impacted. So yeah. you potentially get lightheaded and you may also, this is potentially how I think you might develop it is just the, probably also the volume of fluid around your um, meninges or would possibly sink in a bit Yeah, and you would develop headache. Oh, yeah, yeah gotcha. Because at least in an infant you can look, I'm not sure how objective it is, but you can look at the fontanelle oh, so if and if it depresses, depressed. that would indicate dehydration Yeah, opposed right. to overhydration or increased pressure in that area and it'll bulge out. Yeah, good point. But unfortunately on you, Michael, we can't look at your fontanelle because it's closed. Well, I don't know. So, yeah, I think we've covered everything. Yeah, I think we did a good job. So I think uh, if you want to- Smack bang on an hour. If you want to contact us, uh, feel free. Um, Just open your window, yell out and (laughs) say, yo, no. Uh, You can send us an email, gubiosciences at gmail.com. Or if you want to talk to me uh, and me alone- um, that's Twitter, Twitter, Instagram uh, at Dr. Mike Todorovic. That's on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, uh, I'm on TikTok. Just look at Dr. Mike Todorovic. You're a hit on TikTok. Yeah. I did a video that did like 7.8 million views. What was it on? It was on a family tree. Got a lot of people saying <laughs> sweet home Alabama for some reason. I don't get that reference. Uh, I do a little bit, but anyway, maybe 5,000 people said the same joke in that. Really? At least you, you read all the comments. No, but they pop up and it shows you like a – no joke, I think I got 40,000 comments on that video and it's too many to, to read. I wouldn't read it anyway, to be honest. Um, so anyway, TikTok, Instagram. So you're a TikTok. Twitter, TikTok sensation. A sensation, yeah. yeah and you went video. viral. I did. And that wasn't just COVID. I did and antibiotics aren't going to help me because it's <laughs> viral, not bacterial. Um, look, give us a five-star rating. Go on iTunes, go on Spotify. Oh, I don't know if those are- Can you do it on Spotify? I don't think so. But just tell Spotify you love us. Um, tell a friend. 
maybe say, hey, you like learning about how the body works? I know two uh, blokes that can help and uh, recommend our podcast. If you really like what we talk about, you can go on our YouTube channel, hit subscribe, hit hit like, watch our videos. Um, we do all this for free. Uh, so, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> all right, Maddie. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered.